Hello, you're listening to the Ambition Podcast. I'm Ellen Buchan, Insights and Communications Executive at AMBA and BGA. On this episode of the podcast, I spoke to Simone Fenton Jarvis, who is a Workplace Consultant Director at Relogic and who also just launched her book, The Human Centric Workplace. Simone came on the podcast to talk about why organisations should be centred around their workforce. She also talked about the key ingredients for making a human-centric workplace and some of the first steps needed for organisations wanting to create a culture of one. Great, so thank you so much for being on the podcast. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your career to start off with, please? Yeah, sure. Um, So my name's Simone. Um, I'm basically um, the the Workplace Consultants Director um, at Relogix, which we'll talk a little bit more later, but that's my kind of my role day to day. My background is in um, facilities management and then went into the the more workplace realm of things and then headed into kind of consultancy. So I went from very much the occupier side to then working with multiple organisations, you know, globally. And then obviously over the last kind of year or so, I've been uh, writing my book, which then got released in November. Congratulations on the new book and we'll definitely speak about it. But I first wanted to ask you, what kind of sparked your passion for people and work? Um, I think really like my own values, like I think I think that's where it kind of stems from. I'm very... Um, I say principled, I think maybe others would say stubborn, Um, but I'd say that I'm very principled in that I want to make sure that people are looked after and I want to make sure that I guess that there's an element of integrity in everything that kind of is is happening, like, you know, not just in the workplace, but in the the wider world. Um, And I think that's where it kind of stems from and underpins everything. But then from, I guess, the workplace in particular, like my own experiences, you know, the stories that I hear, the consultancy I've delivered over the years and it, I think everything just comes together and shows like how how important it is to have that human-centric workplace so it's, it's really kind of why I've, I've tried to champion it. You've already mentioned your book The Human-Centric Workplace but can you tell me more about it maybe some of the main themes and who it's aimed towards? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think who who it's aimed at, it's, it's actually quite um, mixed. It's, I'd say, anybody that wants to change the workplace, you don't have to be a leader. Um, it's, it's anybody with, that goes to work and thinks, I want to make this a better place to be for myself, my colleagues, you know, wider society. And the things that I cover within the book, um, so, you know, going into understanding the brain, you know, what the crux of what it means to be a human. And I think getting that that understanding first, I think once you understand the brain and how people work, um, it definitely helps with being in space with other people. Um, you know, getting that, that culture of values and the people first. I go into that quite a bit and the leadership and the ways of working that can kind of really fuel um, some of them things. I think one of the key drivers was, um, you know, the, the actual physical workplace, the space, and having that as a destination that people want to go to um, because of the people there, and, you know, and the culture there and to, to you know, input into that culture, not, not to kind of go to the workplace because it's old, 
or you know in that prescriptive way or because of the gimmicks that you know the table tennis and the, the beer tap and things like that it's it's got to have a deeper meaning so i kind of talk about that and then how the technology then needs to underpin that experience and just make it that you know the workplace experience is seamless for people and they don't have them pain points that you know I've experienced myself previously when you you're lugging that kind of 10 kilogram laptop around um and it doesn't connect to the wi-fi and it's slow it's lagging and it, everything's just an effort like just taking all that away and just making it easier to work with people to collaborate with people no matter where they are um and then I think just to encapsulate all of that it's the the benefits of looking after people um that it has on the local communities you know, when people are thriving at work, they've got more energy to take that into their kind of personal lives and do volunteer work and such. And then the impact that that has then on that wider planet. You know, I talk about things like um, Kenya, for instance, that, you know, 1.1 billion pound a year they lose in basically corporations tax dodging. So, you know, the impact of that where, you know, women are, are got one in four chance of dying in childbirth, for instance. So I talk about that kind of how if we get it right in the workplace, it's got that ripple effect on the, the wider kind of world, not just, you know, in that individual workplace. It's a great time to be releasing this when everyone's kind of starting to think about going back to work. But the book cover in any way working virtually as we all sadly have been doing for a little while. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I think the the virtual world is part of what's going to be our norm going forward in the future. Um, I don't think this is going to go away. Um, and I don't think most people want it to go away. Um, I keep getting a bit of a, a bee in my bonnet actually around this, how organisations say, you know, people need to come back to the office to collaborate. And you just think, well, if we've not been collaborating, you know, how, how have we been working for the last two years? Um, stop using that as an excuse and when you dig a little bit deeper with organizations it actually goes back to a lack of trust um, a lack of kind of um, I guess curiosity and a lack of drive to change you're very much coming up against the situation where you've got people that are digital kind of natives and digital immigrants and they're just not talking the same language so you know the virtual world is here to stay and i, I cover that as well of just how how important that is for us to all just start living in a different way which obviously has to start with working in a different way so you've kind of mentioned one of them i'm thinking but i was going to ask you what do you think are some of the key ingredients to creating a human-centric workplace it sounds like trust is one but um is there other really key ingredients yeah, yeah, so trust is definitely there. And I think, you know, for me, trust is something you shouldn't even have to talk about. Um, I always kind of compare it to um, relationships. And I think if you have to talk about trust, um, then the relationship's kind of been broken down as an issue there. And I think, you know, that that very much is true in the workplace. I think once that is mentioned, there's a problem. Um, for me, the, the leadership of that human-centric organisation has to start with listening um, and then having the empathy and compassion to, to just sit and listen and to truly acknowledge what the other person's saying and to feel what the other person's saying. Um, I think one example of that is, you know, people that go to their leaders for help and their leader says, Go, go find the answer, like I'm not giving it to you yet. And you think, well, actually that person's come to you because they need help. 
not because they can't they're just being lazy so i think it goes back to that listening and you know knowing when people need your assistance as a leader i think being brave enough to have the conversations and for that leader to have the conversation upwards to their boss and also kind of downwards to their people if we're going to kind of get hierarchical about it but to just be brave to not kind of sugarcoat things to not you know, kick cans down the road and just truly say, this is a challenge for my people and have their back in, in that conversation. And, you know, to know as a leader that you're there for your people and you're not there for your ego. And I think that's where a lot of leaders kind of go wrong. Um, and then, you know, I guess there's a lot of ingredients here, but you know, that having the vulnerability to say when you make mistakes as a leader or when they don't know something and for it to be all right that they don't know something as well. Um, and the fact that they've hired somebody because they do know the answers and to then trust and empower them to go find their answers. Um, and I think the, the final thing I'd say is that you've got to know your people, the person, um, you know, know, know what pets they've got, know the names of the kids, you know, just ask questions about their personal life and just build that deeper connection with people. And I think that'll go a really long way to creating that human centric workplace. I absolutely love all of those. Um, but what do you think the first step the organisation should take when they're trying to rethink their workplace for employees? Um, I'd say listen um, and truly listen um, before you act. And, and then you need to act. Don't listen and then kind of diffuse like, and dismiss the situation and what people have been saying. So if you can't act and there's a reason why you can't act on what people have said, just then communicate the reasons why you can't and just have that transparency. And I think that the other thing would be remember the why, um, why you do what you do, why the organisation does what they do, you know, why your workplace needs to function and look the way it does, like avoid the gimmicks and just and go back to what is truly meaningful to people. So my next question is a bit mean, but um, and it might be a bit difficult, but looking forward to the next five years, yeah. what do you think the future of work will look like? And what do you want the future of work to look like? Which yeah. might be different. <laughs> yeah, um, I, <laughs> it is mean. Um, I think the last, you know, the last two years have shown how quickly the world can change and how, you know, how volatile things are. And, and I think it's been like that for a while, but I think we've truly felt it over the last few years. And I think for the future going forward, I would say it needs to be human centric. And I'm trying to say that not to have a vested interest, but I think it's that kind of, if we're not focusing on the people, then our businesses are nothing without our people. And, you know, we, we know the importance of human connection from the last two years. And, you know, I think so, social isolation and everything just kind of really taught us a few things around that. And I think, you know, what it needs to look like would be leaders need to embrace that curiosity that they need and the ambiguity and, and you know, just truly think outside the box. I, at the moment, I'm quite, I'd say, pessimistic. And I don't, I don't think we're going to quite get there. I think there's still a lot of work to be done. There's still too many organisations that are hoping normal um, pre-COVID world will like return. And I think they're still trying to find reasons and justifications for why that should return. 
Um, so I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit pessimistic at the moment, but I hope I'm totally wrong. And I hope, you know, everybody reads my book and everything will be fine. <laughs> but we'll, we'll see. And for people who do read your book, there's a handy 12-step guide to co-creating a human-centric workplace. Um, could you give me a little overview of this process? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so 12 steps, but it's broken down into four phases. Um, starting with phase one being the discovery. So that, that phase really being all around collecting data about your organisation. Um, and the, the data that is not just the, the normal data that you collect, but really getting rid of them data silos that exist in organisations and pulling everything together. Looking at the market trends, you know, yes, there's an element of what your competitors are doing, but that shouldn't be the driving force of what your workplace looks and functions like. So it's a keeping an eye, a one eye on to see, you know, if you can take the good things, but make sure you always go back to your why. And then that voice of the people, what are your people saying? What are your people wanting? What are they thinking? And once you've done that discovery, taking that then into phase two, which is the vision. Um, and the vision is, you know, the art of the possible, but, you know, it's not a... It's not something that comes with a limitless budget and timescale. So it's got to be um, very kind of achievable, um, I'd say. And it's it's going back to well, what is your budget? What's your timescale? And what's the art of the possible in line with, you know, what your people want and in line with them budgets and timescales? And once you've got that, it's then into phase three. Phase three is all about the detail. So, you know, what, what risks come with this? What assumptions are we currently making? Is there any issues we need to consider? Who are the key stakeholders? Um, and then listen to them key stakeholders in the workshops and throughout the design and making sure that once we've got that design, that we then tie everything back around to the voice, the people, the budgets, and making sure it's all kind of fitting. Um, and then the final phase, which would be implementation. Um, and within that is, you know, the steps of piloting. You don't have to go all out, do small things, test it and, and tweak and then roll it out. So this, this phase is really around that piloting, measuring and then the mindset. And it's, it's about having the mindset not to think, you know, once the workplace is finished and that project is finished, that it's done. The workplace um, isn't like that. It doesn't function like that. It's got to be an evolving kind of continuous thing because things are changing every day in our organisations and people change. And, you know, you can see how even one senior leader can have a massive change on an organisation. So, you know, everything's got to be quite dynamic. Um, so that final step is mindset, how it's not 12 steps. It's a, it's a continuous kind of flow. It should, it should never stop, ultimately. You've explained it in a quite, it makes it sound quite simple, but it sounds like a lot of hard work as well. Um, do you have an example of an organisation that you kind of admire that you think has kind of implemented this? Um, yeah, I do, actually. Um, so I guess um, I've got organisations I've worked with, but I can't obviously just that without their permission but there's, there's an organization uh, money penny who are very kind of out there in the media showing people how they have created their workplace and money penny is a really good example of of how they listen to their people and they do the right things for the for the right reasons um and 
anybody has been lucky enough to visit their office, you know, you will you you walk in and you you very much feel the culture immediately, and everybody is amazing. So that is one organisation that I would you know tell tell people to go look at Casey online. Um, and I think another one as well would be Patagonia that have been in the news, obviously, quite a lot over the last few years. But them as an organisation um, are doing some really, really good things um, for the wider planet as well. And it all starts with looking after their people. A lot of things we've talked about today have come back to the need for good leadership. What do you think are the traits of a leader who will thrive in a human-centric organisation? Yeah, um, I think just just goes back to that listening. Um, I think, you know, the the listening and knowing that you know, you're hiring somebody because they've got stuff to add rather than, you know, you're there to, to boost your own position. Um, and I think the, the thing that I say in the book is, you know, the, the good leaders remember that leadership is an honour. And I think that's the, the crux of it. Definitely. My last question is, you're currently working at WeLogics. Can you tell me more about your role in this organisation as well? Yeah, yeah. So my, my role is Workplace Consultants Director. So ultimately what that means is I'm working with customers um, and future hopeful customers as well and partners to understand how they use data in their workplace and it's data to drive change. And ultimately everything that we do is about creating that single pane of glass to the workplace. So, you know, usually um, you would find a lot of people having a lot of Excel spreadsheets and lots of different systems. Um, You would have kind of your HR system, you would have your workplace systems. You've then got data that sits within leases. You know, so it's what we do is, is ultimately take occupancy data um, using things like sensors, um, look at you know access control systems, looking at the workplace data and the HR data and pulling it all together into that single pane of glass to understand what the, the story is saying and what them insights are. I think only when you pull data together, you get that true picture. I think too many organisations are, are functioning in silos between you know, HR, IT, workplace and facilities. So it's what we're trying to do is, is pull all these silos together ultimately. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you today. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. No, thank you very much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much to Simone for being on the podcast. And make sure to check out her book, The Human Centric Workplace. If you'd like more thought leadership, head to www.associationofmbas.com forward slash ambition and make sure to listen out for the next Ambition podcast. <laughs>